how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? Everybody, this is Rose. And this is Louisa. And you're listening to Sober Sex. I made a promise to myself to stop not listening. What it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality. It started with putting down the substances, really, and starting to listen. And the listening to my body has changed. Welcome to Sober Sex. We are thrilled that Cindy Roberts, sober sex expert, certified recovery coach, sexual health and wellness educator, speaker trainer, former sexuality education expert at Pure Romance and Slumber Parties has decided to join us based on our yeah. invitation. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't as spontaneous as that sounds, but welcome, Cindy. <laughs> Thank you so much. So excited to be here. Oh, Cindy, thank you so much for joining us today. Cindy, where are you exactly in the world right now? I am in the world. Where are any of us in the world right now? Um, I am in a really good question. I know, right? I'm in a little town um, outside of Denver, Colorado in the United States. So, yes. Awesome. Because when you you said mountain time, me and Louisa were like, what does that mean? (laughs) The Alps? The Pyrenees? Which mountains are we talking about? The Colorado mountains. Now that we don't want people to know that because uh, then everybody moves here. But yes, um, I am in, oh, really? in Colorado. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Wicked, wicked. So Cindy and I met and bonded when training as coaches together in the She Recovers Coach training program and our very special sense of humors, which some people love and some people don't. <laughs> I thought it was more our lack of, or, I'm sure. uh, our lack of planning and a little bit of our procrastination that made us bond. <laughs> Cindy, can you tell us a little about a little bit about who you are and what exactly is pure romance and slumber parties? Because we find this incredibly intriguing. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, so my background is actually in health education. So many, many moons ago, I went to I went to school. I grew up in Texas, actually, went to the University of Houston and had got my undergraduate and my graduate degree there in health education, public health education. And, um, at the time I thought, okay, I'm going to start out in radio and television. That sounded super exciting. Like I could be on TV and talking Mm -hmm. about the news and be that person. And then after a semester, I was like, no, that's not working for me. So, um, (laughs) yeah, that wasn't, so I ended up, uh, I got my, both of my degrees there. I just went back to back and, and plowed through it. And I was primarily working in the field of AIDS prevention. Um, So this was back in the early, late 90s, um, and HIV AIDS prevention. And that was a really big at the forefront in Houston. And so I just did work, work there in that area and pregnancy prevention, STDs, and then sifted through a couple of public health fields like asthma and stuff like that. But I kept coming back to sexuality education. Like I just really felt drawn to it. I loved the connection with people. And, um, so long story short is I actually, I got married right after my, I, uh, earned my master's degree and then uh, moved to Colorado. Mm -hmm. So married my high school sweetheart. Um, but you'll see how that story ends in a little bit. (laughs) 
moved to Colorado, then I've been here ever since. I actually just calculated the other day that I've, I've been in Colorado longer than I was in Texas. So I feel like I'm, I'm now appropriately a full-on Colorado person versus uh, spending most of my time in Texas. So yeah. And then the, the slumber parties and the pure romance piece. So the interesting part is that I uh, didn't know anything about this. So I don't know if any, if anyone in your audience doesn't know about what these two companies are. So basically they are, they are direct sales, uh, kind of multi-level marketing companies that sell mm-hmm. relationship enhancement products. <laughs> Let's all giggle. What does that make? Break that down for us. <laughs> that's the that's the professional term. That's the term that we use when like I'm introducing myself at like a, a chamber of commerce meeting or or the the uh, school PTA meeting. Like that's what you use. But basically, it's um, yeah, sex toys and uh, lingerie and massage aids and um, you know they also dabbled a little bit in like bath products like bubble bath and massage oil and things like that. So basically it's a in-home party plan designed to help sell these products to clients. So, um, and how did you kind of wind up in that like realm of sexual education? It's crazy, right? So here I am, like I have a two-year-old and then, um, I was actually pregnant with my daughter at that time. And, um, at that time, after, after two years, and we found out she was going to be, um, that she was unhealthy while I was pregnant with her. And so they were very concerned. We were very concerned about, um, her living. Um, she was going to be premature. And so she and I, I had very high risk pregnancy. And so basically she was born eight weeks early and she was two pounds when she was born. And so after that, the doctors were like, okay, you need to, there's no, it's, it's interesting. Cause it's a little bit, I was thinking the other day, it's a little bit like this quarantine stuff. Like she, we were not allowed to like take her out. We weren't allowed to, uh, I was not going to be able to put her in daycare. Like, and so I knew that I had to stay home and then probably about five or six. So she's, she's great. First, let me just say that she's 17 years old. She's a spunk and she's great. Mm. So I had to end up you know, staying home with her. Good, happy her. endings. Yeah, exactly. And um, anyway, I had to stay home with her. And so I went to, well, I think she was about five months old. And I was like, I got to get out of the house. I just, I got to get out of the house. It's a toddler and her. And I went to an in-home party. This girlfriend invited me over. She's like, it's this lady. She sells like sex toys, I think. I'm something like that. Not really sure. I was like, oh my God, I'll go. So I went and I was intrigued by the whole thing. I mean, the gal that got up there was just, I don't know. She, she didn't really know what she was talking about, but it didn't matter because there were 25 suburban women sitting there, all just all ages and just taking in every word she had and giggling and laughing. And she walked away with like $2,000 worth of sales. I was like, what is this? I need to do this this looks great. So that's how it started. Especially as like a new mom, I think that sounds like it must've been super empowering. Um, It was, it was. How long ago was that? Oh, that was 2003 is when I first started with them. And I was with that company for 13 years. So 
it was super interesting. I, you know, when I, when I left that party and I had talked to the gal, I was like, so tell me your background. So I'm a, I just want to know, like, I want also want to know everything I could know. I was like, tell me your background. How do you know all of it? Like, how do you, she's like, I don't know anything. Like, I don't, I didn't go to special school for this. Like, it's just a company. You read their handbook and that's it. And here's these, here's the catalog and you sell the thing. I'm like, yes, but what's your training program like? Like, what do you, you know, how do you know? <laughs> you what, know like, why did you, yeah. Like, I, like, why did you call that body part that? And like, why are we, and I was just, mm. I was just really blown away by the whole, by the whole thing. And then my friends talked about it for like the next two weeks. Like, did you get your stuff yet? Did you, did you try that? What did he think of this? What did she think of this? So it just was the point of conversation for, for multiple weeks. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I just, I called the lady up and I was like, cause she didn't really talk about like recruiting or anything like that. She was like, do what I do and make like, not the typical salesy part. And so I was like, I kind of want to do what you do. She's like, all right, whatever. <laughs> wow. So and that's amazing with your background as well. Yeah, like she your masters and being in sexual health. Yeah, she wasn't. She didn't. It wasn't like I. I don't think she wasn't impressed. I just don't think she really gave two craps about it. Like I just felt like she just was like, whatever. Like here's somebody else that wants to do it. That's cool. I might make some money off of her. So that's when I jumped in and I signed up. And then I just tried tried to learn as much as I could. You know, just about the about the design of the company, and you know what the limitations were, what I could do, how big could I take this, and then what I, you know, what I found is that nobody is trained in sexual health. Like here are these here are these consultants up there selling these products, um, talking about putting them in your vagina, and but they're not saying vagina. They're like stick it up inside and watch it twirl and do its magic. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you need to be a little bit more specific. Like, what do, what does that mean? Do magic and twirl yeah. up inside your like? It just that was that was so surprising to me. So I I just yeah I <laughs> well, jumped it, right. It in. sounds like it speaks a lot to kind of the importance of like sexual health education plus a conversation about women's pleasure that we don't necessarily hear a lot of like you hear a lot about like sex ends when the man ejaculates and like we don't necessarily talk sure. about female orgasm and I think like so many of those conversations just like never happen I mean I mm. I've talked to friends who you know like don't know how to make themselves come so how could they kind of have that within a, a partnership you know what a so Absolutely. so how did you kind of make the leap between two your two backgrounds, like getting into this new realm of essentially sex toy sales plus a background in sexual health? Plus recovery coach, plus she yeah. recovers coach. <laughs> or like I when did that part come? Yeah. Yeah, right, what happened? Right. Much later in life. Um, <laughs> sobriety taught me that. No, I think, um, well, for me, what I did for the, what I did in the company is once I got in and I, you know, I found the owner and I talked with her and she was super cool. And I just said, Hey, you know, this is my background. This is what I think your company is missing. This is what I would like to do. Like, I think we need to, you know, they had like national trainings and stuff like that, but the people doing the trainings were just people on the board of directors, again, who had no background in sexual health. And I just, you know, convinced her to like, let, give me, give me a chance. Like, let me, let me teach a class. And it was sex 101. Like I have like 500 consultants in this class and it's sex 101 and they were eating it up. Like 
that's so funny I said but yes they were like at every piece of information they were like <laughs> no pun intended no pun intended um but they were just they didn't know but yet they wanted to know because they each of these women you know women so first of all the company is only focused on sales primarily to women like only women could attend parties only women could be consultants so it was really about empowerment and that was their their key phrase was we're empowering women in the bedroom enhancing their relationships like i am a bedroom i mean there were so many stupid titles that we had like i'm a relationship enhancement paramedic or I'm a relationship paramedic or just like how the relationship paramedic I don't know but it's like how creative can we all get with our titles like they didn't give they didn't care what you called yourself but it was just so funny that you know here we are in this uh, you know I'm speaking to all these consultants who are then speaking to thousands of women selling these products and I think at the time I knew I knew how much of an impact it could have but I wasn't thinking about all of the, like all of the things that would then, now that I see in my recovery that I did. It's not some of the things that I've come to terms with. Like just like saying things like, you know, you need to loosen up before sex. This will help you loosen up. Um, you know, have some tequila before you give a blowjob. It'll help it taste better. Things like that. So, you know, those were things that I really had to get. I had to get familiar with and um, get comfortable with and right. um, this, you know, that many times out, but I loved that. I loved that. I loved the teaching part. And I'll tell you the part of the sales and it's an in-home parties. So like you walk in, you greet everybody there. It's in your living room. It's like these women get your best friends together and everybody's having appetizers and alcohol. And I do an hour long presentation trying to sell the products. I then have a one-on-one consultation with each woman in um, a separate room and go over their order form and sell, sell, sell. And that was the piece I had the hardest time with. I hated the selling piece. I just wanted to talk about why, why was that? Um, I think Rose that I, I just, it's just sales. Like I'm just not a natural salesperson. I'm more of a natural educator. I mean, my, I mean, I, my, my right. degree is in education. And so I felt like that came very natural to me, but the sales piece, like if someone came to, you know, I would have, I mean, you just hear their stories. Women come into the ordering room and they're like, I'm so, I really want to, I really want a toy, but I'm not really sure how to introduce that into my relationship. Like my husband will die if I bring in a vibrator, you know, like he'll think I'm replacing him. So it's all of these talks. I was like, Oh girl, let's talk about that. Like, this is what you can say. This is what you can do. And you know, and you're supposed to be saying, well, that's why you don't start with the $18 toy. Let's get the $80 toy. That one will actually blow your mind. Like that piece. I really had a hard time with. Yeah. <laughs> and I are like, what's the $80 toy? Then, <laughs> <laughs> like, no, you don't need it because it actually doesn't stimulate your clitoris. And you really, this $18 toy will do exactly what you need because I had the ability to listen to them. And she'd be like, I don't want to stick anything up inside my vagina. I have, you know, this one woman would have, like, she had a um, inverted uterus. She had, like, something going on. She had a bad rash or something. I don't remember what it was, but I just, she's like, I can't put anything up inside my vagina. She goes, but yet you said I need this $80 toy. I'm like, yeah, but that goes up inside your vagina. Let's talk about your clitoris for a little bit, you know, like, 
And so she's like, oh, I never thought about my clitoris. I'm like, oh my God. Like inside I'm thinking, what do you mean? You don't know, like you don't even know where your clitoris, like she just didn't know where it was. She didn't know that that was a point to sexual pleasure. And that was like, wow, just moments like that. I have dozens of stories. (laughs) But interestingly, like, it sounds like you definitely knew kind of your way around yourself and like how to give yourself pleasure and, or how to have that within a relationship. So can we pause a minute and talk about like your sexual background or what messages you internalized about your sexuality or sex early on? Like, how did you arrive at the point that you were so comfortable and, and like had so much wisdom in this area? I really don't know if you think about like, if I, it's funny. I was thinking about that and I, it's so, it's so funny because I think there's a part of me, there's this shock value. So I grew up in a conservative church in uh, Southern Texas. So uh, it's called the church of Christ. And it was, you know, sex was holy. It was like, it's on a pedestal, pedestal. You hold that for a special service special person like and that's preferably when you're married like you do not have sex before you're married and it's one person it's sacred um and I remember I was I must have been like 14 or 15 and I have an older brother and I remember that I thought that he was having sex with his girlfriend like I I like read a note he had or she left him or something and I took it so personally, like I thought he was going to hell. And I remember, I remember at eighth, ninth grade, like trying to convince him that he was going to go to hell if he had sex with her. Like, and I was, I just had this really righteous side of me that I don't know where that, but it, it diminished quickly in high school. <laughs> um, but I still was very, I still was very uh, timid. Um, I didn't, there was, like a sexuality class we took in eighth grade. And then we took it again in 10th grade. It was just basically like, if you have sex, have protected sex. Um, I just, the messages that I got was that it was just, it, there, it had to be the right person and it will be one person in your life and you just need to wait for it. So um, I, and it was, it was shame basically from, mostly from the church, not my parents. My parents were fairly open. My mom was fairly open, but we just didn't really talk about sex very much. Um, but then I met, I started dating my then, my now ex-husband, I started dating him in high school. And, um, I remember being conflicted with the feelings of, I think I want to have sex, but I'm not supposed to have sex. Like, will I get in trouble? Am I going to go to hell? Oh, this sounds so exciting though. Like, I think I really want to do this. And so I just remember like, feeling super, super conflicted, um, my like junior, senior year of high school with all of the messaging that was kind of just running through my head. Um, I mean, they even told me at church, like never date a Catholic boy. Catholics are bad. Um, (laughs) yeah. So (laughs) that was, I had to speak off to get birth control. And I remember just, I just, yeah, it just was, but once I told my mom, like, Hey, by the way, I went and got birth control. She was like, pissed that I didn't tell her. She's like, I would have taken you. You should have told me I would next time we're going to my doctor. So, um, it definitely wasn't shaming from, um, from a parental standpoint. It was, it was more of this religious tone that I had throughout my childhood, um, from the church that really made me feel that way. So how did that messaging learning or unlearning of those very kind of strict ideas guide you throughout your life and career? 
I think that I, um, I wanted to unlearn it. Like I, I was very interested in the fact that we, especially, I think for me, my, obviously my experience was Southern Texas, right? And so I, there was this very conservative area that I lived in. Why were kids still having, like, why were they engaging in sexual activity? Why was everybody promiscuous, but nobody was telling the adults, but the, you know, so I felt like I just needed, I wanted to figure out why that was happening. What could I, what could I do differently? If the kids were going to keep doing that and the parents were going to keep believing that their kids weren't, how can I connect to the kids? And that's how I basically got wrapped up into health education when I was in college. Cause I was like, I'm, you know, I, for the, at the time, I felt like I looked younger than I was. And so people still thought I was in high school. So the conversations I could have while I was taking my college courses and I was interning at health clinics, like I was easy, it was easy for me to relate to other teenagers. So that's when I felt like I need to unlearn this religious part, this religious tone that has been set for my whole life. And I need to, I really want to help other people. I really want to be able to open up the conversations. And I think honestly, Rose, it was like a, I just wanted to talk to everyone about sex. Like I, oh my God, I did. Same. <laughs> I don't know what it is. And I got eye rolls and I got like, you're going to do what? Like, why are you going to major in that? Like, that's what you want to do. I just, there's something about this. I've I've actually found this as a theme throughout my life. There's a shock value to it. Like, I just look like this all American girl, like, and, and here I am, like, I want to talk about, you know, warts and I want to talk about anal sex. Like I just, people, it would just throw like, wait, what? Like you want to talk, you shouldn't be talking about those kinds of things. Like you should be focused on elementary education and teaching second graders. And I did, I tried to teach second grade and I was like, nope, this isn't working for me. I don't like it. Like, Mm annoying that that was actually (laughs) going to be like a next question like did you come up against any challenges as specifically a sexual health educator in a conservative space like especially I know right now there's a lot of push towards kind of a religious right like abstinence education model and I would love to hear kind of how your work either how how you weave that in or out of what you do Um, I did face it, um, especially in that area. You know, when I started working in AIDS education, you know, back in the, back in the late nineties, it wasn't, there was, there was such a negative connotation to, oh, it was was very homophobic where I was. And so to be working with, it was all gay men to be working with gay men and to not only be working with gay men, but that are HIV positive, um, that was there was such a huge stigma that, I mean, I remember being asked not to come back to my church because I had been working with, um, the AIDS, an AIDS community. So yes, there was (sighs) definitely, there was definitely a lot of stigma. There was definitely a lot of conservative peace that I had to, I had to face. Um, and I did an internship at a planned parenthood, in downtown Houston. And so downtown What's Planned Parenthood. Sorry for any Europeans might not know. Sure. Um, so I don't have this. Enough. Thanks Planned Parenthood for my first like morning after pill. When I was Did like you? 17. Yeah. <laughs> you can describe what Planned Parenthood is. So it's an org, it's a, it's a national organization that uh, provides women's provides healthcare to women um, focusing oh. on re- focusing on reproductive health. Um, so 
Nice. In the okay. in the states, there is a lot of people perceive that Planned, Parent, Planned Parenthood only does abortions, and so it's probably one of to me it's one of the most controversial. Uh, organizations that exist here in the United States because people protest it. People, I mean, again, Houston, it was, this was the clinic I worked at performed abortions. And so I was only doing like STD training for teenagers. Like that was my internship, but I had to walk into the clinic every day and there were protesters outside. Mm I mean, picketers, I mean, every day, like it could be 8 a.m., it could be 5 o'clock, it didn't matter. There were always always at least five people, and um, that's when I actually really realized that what I was doing was super controversial. Like even teaching, even teaching sex ed to these teenagers in downtown Houston that were it was a minority population underserved and still people were protesting that, that we were giving them access to birth control, that we were providing free condoms, et cetera. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, Um, controversial, but then therefore super fucking important. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now again, here we go back to the shock value. I loved that. I was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to give them condoms and Oh yeah. I'm going to put a bowl, bowl of condoms outside the clinic. And you know, I, as scary as it was for me at, I don't know, 22 years old, walking outside this clinic and people were throwing things at me as I walked it, you know, just to, just to serve. All I was doing was serving the public by, you know, I was excited to work with these 14 and 15 year olds. And, uh, it was, it was very, it was very eye opening to me, but, mm. and I think, I think honestly too, like I saw it as we got older, those conversations that you guys asked about the conversations that, you know, just trying to break that stigma. It happened even when I was with those two companies, like they having women would not even come to the in-home parties. Their, their partners wouldn't let them come, or they had to lie to their parents to watch their kids so that they could come because they didn't want them knowing they were going to a sex toy party. I mean, I would, we had a script, we had a script that hostesses could give to their friends to help them be deceitful about what, where they were going for these parties. And, you know, that's where I just keep, there's so much, there's so much shame and there's so much untruth about sex that we're like, here's a 40 year old woman who had to lie to her husband to tell that she's just going down the street to her girlfriends to listen to a presentation about, you know, sex. How crazy is that? Yeah, man, that's so tragic. It's like it's a bit heartbreaking that like it's something that's both kind of culturally exploited in terms of like obviously sex sells, but also I think especially for women, something that's so like mired in shame and misinformation. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so to kind of re-enter present day, uh, what exactly sure. is a sober sex expert, and how does one become qualified? Well, I gave myself that title. No. <laughs> amazing title. Thank you. It's amazing. I love it. You know, it's, <laughs> I, it. So we named the podcast after you. <laughs> um, I struggled with it for a while. And I know Rose has knows a little bit of this. I, you know, I, my, because I spent almost 25 years in like sexual education, that's, you know, I, I felt like that was my calling. 
that's what I, that's what I taught. Like I, I know the ins and outs of the, of the body and the orgasmic response and blah, 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 blah. So I know all of that. Pray tell. And then, (laughs) (laughs) right. That's a whole thing. And then what happened while I was, while I was with the company, they gave me that title. So like I had, so I was the person with the company that, you know, I was the sex educator. I was the director of sexual health. And so, you know, I went to the sex toy conventions. I picked the products. I wrote the, I helped with, you know, small team writing the catalog and writing the descriptions and all of, you know, what the toy did. And, and so they then called me the sober sex expert. I mean, they called us. No, they didn't. I had to, no, I was drunk at the time. I was drinking <laughs> at the time for sure. Um, that's, that was, that's funny. Um, but I was the sex expert. I was the company sex expert. And so I wrote blogs and, um, all that kind of stuff, articles for the newsletters. And so I had been given that title sex expert for years. And then once I left the company, so I left, Oh, I think four and a half years ago, five years ago. And I just decided it wasn't, it, it wasn't for me anymore. It was more, it, although I had this big team and I was, you know, yay, like all multi-level marketing, you know, only a small amount of people actually make it to the top. And I was at the top, but I, I just didn't like, I didn't like the book sell recruit, that hardcore Mm. let's go, go, go. And, um, I was hiding behind the products. Like I just, I was hiding behind the products. And so basically I left that, I left, I was like, I, I knew it wasn't in my heart any longer. And so Soon thereafter, I uh, I was still drinking then, um, and 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 let me back up a second and just say you know every every piece of the education that I did and all the, these national conventions everything was centered around alcohol. Every company event, gosh, um, and I know you're not asking me specifically about sobriety, but no, curious about dealing with that. As well. Thanks. Um, I think that I mean every company event was centered around alcohol. Um, you. I mean, that's how you celebrated all the team meetings, like everything was just, and so I couldn't imagine my life with the company still drink, like not drinking, but that I wasn't even entertained. Honestly, I wasn't even entertained the idea of, of sobriety at when I left the company. But now that I look back, I'm like, boy, that experience sure would have been different. Um, it, it just really would have been different. I, it was to me, I always say like, you know, I would sell alcohol as something to loosen you up, right. It's your social lubricant. Well, for me, it was my speaking lubricant. Like before I got on stage to talk about, to teach a class on anal sex, I had to have alcohol. Like I felt like I just needed to loosen up a little bit. I'd be a better presenter. I would be, I would be funnier. People would like me more. If I just had a couple of shots of tequila in me, I'd be so witty. And it really took kind of, you know, I, you know, as you know, in sobriety, you just have to break some of those connections. For me, that was a big connection that I, that I had to break. And so then it's when I, once I entered the recovery field, like I sobered up in, November of 2016. So three and a half years is coming up and um, things love. (laughs) And uh, yeah. So then I was like, well, this is very interesting. Like how does a former sex toy salesperson who needed alcohol to sell stuff, how am I going to, but how does that actually correlate to sobriety? Like I don't even see the connection at all, but I spent so much time insect human sexuality and I'm super passionate about sobriety and I'm wanting to help people 
recover. I want to help women. And then wait a second, like all of a sudden women in the recovery field are talking about sex. And yeah. I'm like, oh my God, oh, no. bingo, bingo. Like, <laughs> or explicitly yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. Or not. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, or talking about it in a like, I know you and I have had these conversations. We'll come on to that more later, but I'm really curious how you kind of align yourself in sobriety as the sober sex expert and use your expertise to draw you to your new line of work. Like, how did that all come together? You suddenly like, I'm going to be a coach. And I'm also a sexpert. Um, now I'm sober. Wow. Like what a beautiful alignment. And also just a bear witness to your incredible um, transformation of stepping into that space. Obviously I didn't know you before, but like we've been on this journey a little bit together and she recovers and it's been such a joy to see that. Thank you. Um, it's It's been difficult. I mean, as far as like, you know, I think right now we're in this place of, you know, what's your position? What's your you know, what's your, what's your life passion? It's been like drilled into us. And like, what if we have multiple passions? Mm -hmm. What if we have, what if there's just not one thing? What if it just, it evolves as we, as we get older, as our life experience changes, as our journey changes, as the people around us change. And so that's something that I've really had to come to terms with and accept because I, I thought, well, this sex ed piece is something I've done for so long and I'm, you know, I like it. I feel like I'm pretty good at it. And I like talking to people. And then the sobriety piece to me, you know, my recovery, every journey, as you, as you know, is, is different. Everybody recovers differently, whether it's mm. with groups or without groups or, or reading books or blogs or going to treatment, um, everybody does it differently. And so I, th I think for myself, when I was, I was very much focused on the solitude of sobriety. Like I didn't reach out much. I didn't have groups. I didn't have a big community. I didn't really talk to people about it um, for a, for probably for about six months or so um, after I after I quit drinking. And I felt like at the same time I was also struggling with what am I going to do with my life? Um, I have teenagers. So so in the meantime, I've I've went through a divorce and um, that was about 10 years ago. And so I also was in a new relationship and now that's, we've been together for eight years. And so, mm -hmm. and we have kids and we're co-parenting and we're blending families. And so how in the world am I, I'm doing, I'm sober. I'm have four teenagers and what the heck am I doing? Still trying to talk about sex. Like I just couldn't find the connection and I still struggle with it a little bit just because it's, there's not many people that talk about, uh, I like the positive side of sex. So I, I, and that's where I think I've gotten hung up on because, you know, I was working with a, a counselor and she was like, you know, let's talk about trauma. Let's talk about, all the negative parts of your, of your history, or let's talk about, let's really break all of that down. It's like, no, no. I mean, and I have, I, I've, I've done that work, but I really want to focus on this positive piece. I really want people to be able to see that passion and intimacy can be found. Like you have to work at it, but it can be lovely and it can be exciting. And let's talk about that. Like, yeah, it's absolutely. always just yeah, it's just always so gray and dull and, oh, it's terrible. And I'm never going to have position. Not yeah. that there's anything wrong with missionary, but it's certainly something Louisa and I have 
talked about and kind of how we came together on this podcast is that we really want to open up that question around, you know, Louisa is very open about being a feminist submissive uh-huh. in sobriety <laughs> and um, talks very openly about that. And me too, you know, like you know, in 12 step, which is the, where we kind of began our recovery journeys, we talk about like sex ideals and things like that and aligning that with a God of your understanding. And um, that's been really important for both of us to open up a conversation with other women around intimacy, being like, whatever you want, you can have it any way you want in sobriety too. Like, and then bringing and, and not sort of avoiding the intimacy question because you might have felt like you acted out inappropriately when you were drinking. I mean, I'm very open in the last, um, the first episode about that, you know, I slept with hundreds and hundreds of men and some fairly unconsciously. And, um, you know, I was very scared to go back near sex in sobriety, for example. And Louisa has her own journey with that as well. Totally. I mean, I mean, it's interesting to kind of backtrack like you were talking about, you know, being a parent of teenagers and being like, why am I still talking about sex? Because there is a weird myth that's been kind of subtly ingrained that like <laughs> people, especially women, stop having sex when we're over 40. <laughs> it's like right. that, like some, somehow that's not an important thing anymore or that connecting in this way isn't valuable and like exploring this part of yourself as like a necessary component of relationship isn't like critical you know to kind of personal emotional health you know not saying and I mean of course there's like a full spectrum that we want to respect in terms of like asexual or not that interested or not terribly high libido but this idea that like once we're kind of not nubile anymore (laughs) that there's no place in the conversation for us anymore you know and so I'm curious as to kind of Today, as a sober sex expert, like especially dealing with people in whatever kind of recovery that they're walking through, like where do you see your clientele struggling the most? Um, I think women in recovery, for me, I, I see that, that they just have a fear about performance um, and how to be themselves without the alcohol. They don't know who they are. They don't know what feels good to them. Um, they haven't spent a lot of time exploring themselves individually. And that's, um, I think a lot of women in recovery are also examining their relationships. You know, I think we, we focus on our relationships, you know, the the friendship piece, let me kind of go down to that core, like who are your core five people that you associate with? And then who's your person? You know, do you have a person? So you're always kind of studying these relationships I think if people are in a, if women are in a relationship, I think it goes for men too. Um, You know, you look at your, your partner, the person you're the most intimate with, there is to me, like there's just a magnifying glass on that relationship. When you sober up, you start to see, because we, we know in sobriety, you start to feel all the feels, right? You start to, all the emotions are there. Like you're not numbing out anymore. You can't hide and so you really start to look at every aspect of your relationship. And so I think that piece is going on with women in sobriety for sure. And then at the same time, there's that fear of, can I do it? Um, and meaning just engage intimately. It's not even having an orgasm. I mean, that's, then that is also something that they are concerned about. 
Like, I don't know if my body can still function the same. I don't know if I've damaged that part of my body. And um, I don't know if I can heal appropriately. Maybe it's my hormones. Maybe I'm not, um, maybe I'm not relaxed. I mean, we're, we're just second guessing all of these things. And at the same time though, there's women who are like, holy hell, this is amazing sex. Like I'm having the best sex now because I am in tune with my body. That doesn't magically happen for every, every woman. Like I think, you know, there's that pink cloud in sobriety, right? That, that so many people experience. So it's just this high, like, I got this recovery is great. Like, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. And then, then something hits you. So I think sometimes it's a little bit like that with, with sex, like, okay, so, oh, I think I can do this. And then there's the relationship challenge or your, you know, your partner might say something to you that makes you all of a sudden inferior and insecure about your body or about your relationships. I think that's all, but you know, a lot that goes on a lot in relationships with or without sobriety, but in sobriety, you're all of a sudden examining everything so much more closely. A ball of nerves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like raw nerve endings <laughs> everywhere. Absolutely. Uh. <laughs> absolutely. And you know, one of the things that I like to tell, tell women, like when they're like, Oh, I don't, you know, I don't even know if I'll be able to do it anymore. I'm like, then go do it. And they're like, well, go do what? I'm like, touch yourself. I'm like what? Mm-hmm. Like, but you know, again, it it's such a tie. It ties right back to what I was teaching in in my classes, and you know, some little Denver house in a neighborhood to all these women. It's the same thing. Touch yourself. How can you expect your partner? You know, you're mad at your partner for not being able to help you reach an orgasm when you don't even really know what an orgasm is, or you don't really know how to touch yourself, or you don't have the verbiage to tell your partner or the confidence to tell your partner, this is what I like. This is where I want to be touched. This is how long I want to be touched. Go turn the music on so that it distracts my mind because my mind is super busy right now. Go turn the music (laughs) on. Like we just don't we don't know how to use those words. And so, especially I think in, in recovery, like we just, you have to really advocate for yourself. So take some time for yourself and figure out what it is that you like. It's, I like to call it like the ultimate self-care, <laughs> you know? like, you know, and I know they talk about this in Tantra trainings and things like that, that, mm-hmm. you know, you must give yourself pleasure every day. And that doesn't necessarily look like hitting an orgasm every day because that can feel like pressure in itself but you need to be having that intimate relationship with yourself whether you have a partner or not and then bringing that to the table because you're just kind of like pouring water on that flower pot aren't you essentially for sure for sure yeah I think it's definitely I mean it's just something that we aren't that women aren't actually you know we're not taught to do that, speak up for ourselves. At least I wasn't. And a lot of women that I talked to, like, they're just, you know, how can I be that direct with my partner? And now that you don't have something taking away that lens, you know, it's just this mm-hmm. fuzzy, fuzzy lens. Like, what does my body look like? I'm so, well, it didn't really matter if you were drunk. Like, you didn't really care what your body looked like. You were like, I'm in it. But, you know, we could I talk have no about no feelings of awkwardness. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, OK, my my weight, my my rolls are rolling over and yep, there's cellulite. But you didn't really you didn't really care. Yeah. And so and and that was, you know, for for me, that was something that we when we when we sold products, boy, we just we taught women to hide that. And that makes me sad that when I look back, like, mm-hmm. you know, just you need this to be able to be more confident. You need this. You know, I, I just really, 
you know, instead of embracing like the feeling and the, the industry has changed. Let me just say that. Like I haven't, you know, it's been five years since I sold the products. Like I know the industry has changed. I've witnessed the change. So I know that there's, they're definitely making big, big advancements towards, you know, celebrating women of all sizes and celebrating all types of relationships. But boy, back then they just really didn't, they really do. I sound so old when I say that back then they didn't really do that, but um, it is, it is definitely changing. And that's what I'm, I, something I'm excited to see that that movement's changing mm. for sure. Oh, amazing. Well, can I just kind of thinking about, you know, intimacy and connection, I'd like to ask you what initially did you drew you to your current partner? Oh, that's a good one. Um, let's see. So I was, I was divorced and, um, boy, you know, being in, being in the middle of your life and dating again, like it's just so eye opening, and definitely for, for, for him, it was, he just listened. He just listened very intently to me. And Mm. I was with someone who didn't listen very well before. Um, he was mysterious. He was, he's a good writer. He shares his feelings. Like I just love all these things, but he just, uh, he wasn't scared to share his feelings. Now what's super interesting is that when you, he had two kids and I had two kids when we got together and, um, I, I had went, I went straight from my parents' house to living with my then ex-husband. So I never lived on my own, like never did my, in my college years, like I lived, I lived with my boyfriend and then we got married. And then, so when I got divorced, I chose to live on my own, um, for a couple of years. And that was, to me was, it was super healing. Um, because Mm -hmm. I just didn't know, I didn't know how to I just know how to be on my own. Um, although I was such a caretaker, I'm, I'm very, very codependent. Um, but I was a very good caretaker, so I could run a home and manage it. But being by myself was super uncomfortable, which is also where I found comfort in wine. Like wine brought me comfort. So when I was alone, I was like, oh, I can soothe myself this way. So um, I, I tell you that because in my relationship, so when our relationship started out, I was, you know, I was drinking, but I was just a social drinker, like every other woman in the world that I thought in my head and, um, my sobriety again, three and a half years ago. So it wasn't until we were together for four and a half years that I realized that I had a problem. And so to be what with kind someone, of cued you into that fact, yeah. sorry to interrupt. No, no. Um, that I had, Oh, let's see. So the long and the short of that one is, um, prior to that in 2015, um, I was also during, during my divorce and the the years after that, I actually, um, my mom lived with me for a little bit and then was in and out of nursing home. She uh, had liver disease and she suffered from cirrhosis for about five years. And I was her uh, primary caretaker. And so, um, she lived me, with me and then, um, was in, in like, again, in, like I said, in and out of nursing homes. And so she suddenly passed away in September of 2015. Oh, I'm and, so sorry. Thanks. And it was from alcohol. And the, the interesting part of that is, is that the entire time, you know, she was, she was excellent at hiding her alcohol use. She was excellent at, she was a sweet, she was, you know, five, one, 105 pounds, little petite thing and sweet as sugar pie, like just Southern 
Southern sweetness and, um, but was the best liar. Like she just <laughs> would look straight at the doctor after flirting with him for a little bit and be like, no doctor, I haven't had anything to drink. And you know, her liver, her abdomen was distended. They just, you know, drained all this, like in the doctors, like, and I'm like, Cheryl, you have to stop drinking. Like you have to, She's like, I only have a glass of wine every day. So what was so interesting to me is when she passed, she, um, I was drinking at the time and my, my a family member came over and the day she died and took me to lunch and she's like, let's get our plan together. How are we going to, you know, clean up, clean out your mom's place, that kind of stuff. And, you know, all the, like all the details. And, um, we went to lunch and we went through a bottle of wine celebrating my mom's life. And I look back now and I'm like, that's so, you know, I don't live with regret, but I really look back at that. I'm like, what a, what a moment that was. Like Mm. I celebrate my, my mom passed away. She had an accident and, you know, basically it was her, she was intoxicated at the time. And so she died because of alcohol. She, that she died, but here I am, you know, like I'm celebrating her life with a glass of wine at lunch with some egg rolls and some pad thai, like how bizarre is that? My best friend came over that night with a bottle of wine to help me, you know, like, Oh, let's, let's talk about your mom. And so, um, that was all going on at the, so, so that's how my sobriety, that was my sobriety came 14 months later. Um, I just had a moment where I was, it was just, we were co-parenting. There were pro like pro, not problems, just, it's just co-parenting. We're blending families and I was not concentrating. I was all over the place. I, I knew it. Like I knew, I knew my drinking was getting on hand. I was sneaking it. I was hiding a box of wine in the basement. Um, it's as all like, I've talked to my kids about this, so it's all good. Like and they're, you know, they're teenagers and mm. I'm hiding alcohol. And so, and I was hiding it from my partner and he had no clue. And, um, and so the important thing about my partner too, is that he doesn't drink. He has never had a drink he in his entire life interesting yeah I know right wow so so there's a whole bundle of feelings there but anyway so he he never pressured me or anything and so I just had this moment and I actually went to go I was a guest speaker at a meeting for um, my former company they invited me back and I remember it was at a restaurant and I remember thinking, why would they have it at this restaurant? They don't serve alcohol. That's so stupid. Like, <laughs> why would, what am I going to do? How am I going to speak? And I just remember getting in my car afterwards and like crave. And I'm like, I can't keep doing this. I just can't keep doing this. So that was November 14th. And um, I took my last drink then. And so you know, back, back to the relationship, I'm just totally rambling now, but that relationship piece, when you can be that person, be this hiding all of this, this untruth. There's so much untruth to that part of our relationship of myself that here is somebody who stuck by you when you, I mean, my mom was my best friend. And so he was by my side during that. And then for the next 14 months, I drank my way through it mm. and then sobered up. And here I am three and a half years later and we are stronger now than we have ever been. And we've also survived raising four kids. Um, That's beautiful. That part, I, sometimes I look back at that and I'm like, wow, like teenagers are shitty tough mm. sometimes. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I Can't can say imagine. on that one. <laughs> So 
<laughs> Where do you find your curiosity is today? Hmm. Curiosity as in, as in like personally, professionally. I mean, sexually. <laughs> um, I think I am super intrigued by where this whole movement of, for me, what I see women in recovery dealing with, like I'm intrigued by why we aren't talking about sex, why in a meeting just a couple weeks ago, I wasn't even allowed to bring up sex and why can't we have these conversations? Like that is intriguing to me. It, it pisses me off, but yet in a positive way, like mm-hmm. I want to be able to have these conversations, which I think, you know, you guys having this podcast, like, I think that's such, such a big step. Like, I'm so glad you're having these conversations because these are the things that we need to talk about because people are avoiding sobriety um, because they think it will affect their sexual life. Um, not just because of that, but there are definitely people out there. Like I wasn't sure how I was going to have sex without a glass of wine before. I mean, you talk about a difficult conversation is telling your partner, like um, I've pretty much always had some sort of alcohol in me whenever we've engaged in sexual activity. <laughs> that's tough. That is, you know, you talk about like exposing all of your stuff, man, that's just right there. So I look forward, you know, I'm curious about where that's going to go, where these conversations are going, um, you know, just as a, as our, as our culture, just as in the recovery movement, like, I just want to really start seeing that happen more. Um, and that's going to mean really taking on the connection between alcohol and sex. Like that's mm-hmm. marketing, that's advertising, that's been ingrained for decades. So that's decades. I think maybe since the dawn of man, right? Really, really. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Absolutely right. But yeah, that's where I'm curious to see that goes. I mean, I think they also say like the only thing that has to change is everything when somebody decides to get sober. And I'm not sure if that's true for everybody. I know people choose sobriety for a number of reasons, but I think that this is a big one in terms of like the relationship with it and the desire to be present really has to shift because like, mm-hmm. guess what? Like if you're sober, you're going to be there, you know? And so I think it does actually like demand either, like if, if one has kind of a traumatic past in that um, department, it often has to kind of be reconciled with and, or like you say, the kind of the positive notes of actually getting to know, know oneself and figure out like, what does pleasure mean to me in sobriety? Cause guess what? I have no fucking clue <laughs> who I am or what I want is uh it's a really exciting thing if one's not too kind of intimidated by it, but yeah, it's, de- it's Absolutely. definitely like, it, it can feel like gazing in, into an abyss. <laughs> well, and I think you, you nailed, like when you said like, you know, it, it can be intimidating. And I think that there's just this like, what if, you know, I, I was working with a client, I don't know, a couple months ago and there was, she's like, well, what if I actually like women? And I'm like, okay, what if you actually do like, okay, cool. She's like, no, I mean, really, what if I actually do? And she's been married for 15 years. And I said mm-hmm. to a man, and I, you know, I was like, okay, you know, do you have a conversation about that? Like, you know, she's like, but I can't, what would that, you know, what's that going to feel like? She's like, I think I actually like women. I'm like, is this in addition to, or in place of, or, you know, so let's have that conversation. It's like, but I, and she's like, I actually felt like I, I felt this before, but I, 
the more I drank, the more those feelings went away. So she really was suppressing it to, you know, I'm, I'm fearful that I'm having intimate feelings about another woman. So let me, let me just drink some more and I'll like my husband better. And so, um, you know, I, it really is, it's, it kind of opens up not only your heart, but your mind to like exploring some different, some different relationships and where that relationship might go for people. And I think that that's can be scary, especially if you're just, you know, this is the way it's supposed to be. And I will always, you know, I'm a huge fan of, um, Glennon Doyle. And like, so any, I just love how open she is about her, the conversations that she has in her books that she writes. And, um, you know, for me, I'm like, you know, just, it's, it's allowing yourself just to open up to some possibilities and not immediately turning them away. And I think that that can be really scary to a lot of people yeah. for sure. Like living authentically is, you know, it's a living big ask. <laughs> it is but, for sure. But also the potential of having that, like the ability to kind of live an authentic life, especially in this department when there are mm-hmm. so many different, like th- there's so many different routes. I think it's entirely exciting and unique to, to, think about kind of really exploring what you actually want like but man the <laughs> the terror before kind of taking a step into that direction uh i know for me it was it was intense before kind of um kind of admitting to my innermost self like oh this is a- this is not somebody to be ashamed of or afraid of like this is who you are in terms of like kind of my sexual proclivities but you know there's a lot of like external messaging about should you know like I should look it should look like this it should be like this it should feel like this and we're here to dispel that (laughs) that rumor that there's one way oh I love that you guys are doing that I love it I love it that's so exciting I mean that's just really what it is I mean I just love that you're having those conversations and allowing people just to say those things to share their deepest and their truest part of themselves you know like I just love that what would you say are your superpowers Mm-hmm. Um, I say it like it is. I um, I just, I'm not afraid to talk about sex, obviously. Um, but I also, I don't know. I like, to, I like to give women hope. Like I just, it sounds, mm-hmm. it sounds so cliche, but I just, I just like to be sex positive. I just, I want to be able to help women feel that way that they have a choice to take charge of their sexuality. So I don't know. I feel like I'm a good listener, but I also don't listen long. That's probably terrible, but like, I just want to get to it, like get to the point. Um, <laughs> someone said, you know, it's almost like having a lawyer on retainer. Like <laughs> just, they'll just call me like, Hey, this is what's going on. Like, Hey, well then go try this and go do that. And you know, suck it up and let's go, you know, not, oh, that sounds so terrible. <laughs> I had just have to watch with my puns. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I feel like. Uh, probably one of my superpowers is being able to tell people like it is like this, this is what you need to go do. Go try this out and it doesn't work. Try something else. Rad. So, vulnerability. Vulnerability is. Just what I think just what we were, what we were just talking about, like it being able to be raw and just be honest, like allowing your heart to really speak to who you are. And um, that's vulnerability with yourself. I think is the most important, honestly, like I just, Everybody talks about vulnerability, like social media or vulnerability with your partner. And really, you have to be vulnerable with yourself first. I mean, it comes back mm-hmm. down to that self-love. Like you have to be able to, for me, I feel like you just really need to be vulnerable with yourself and be honest, be truthful. Um, 
and just try not to cover it up for sure. Amazing. Intimacy is dot, dot, dot. Okay. Can I, I'm going to, I'm going to give you one of my favorite quotes actually, if I may, um, this one always comes up for me. Um, it's just having a, okay. It's a kind and compassionate witness to your truest thoughts and feelings. And that's Mm. from, um, Laura McCallan's book, um, that she quotes her friend Meadow. I just love that. It's a kind and compassionate witness to your truest thoughts and feelings. Like it's, it's, you know, it just really makes you get comfortable with fear and, um, yeah. It's, like, mm-hmm. it's just this connection like that. So I really love that. A piece of music that changes the way you feel in your body or art or whatever. <laughs> um, I am connected to music. I will say that. Like, I, I think I joked around earlier, like when someone said, like, I, when someone will say that like, they can't be intimate or they have a hard time focusing, I'm like, turn some music on. Music always takes me to a place. And so like for me, my, my favorite band, um, the XX, like that always, they're a group that just, their music resonates to me. But then I'm I love also, the XX. Do you? you I do. I saw them in concert when I was newly sober and it blew my mind. You know who they are. So now people don't know who they are. So I love that. Yes. Yeah, so I saw, I've seen them in concert a couple of times, several times. Oh my God. Love them. So they, that's my, like for me, like right now, but I will tell you, like there are certain, you know, even that connects to me in one way, but boy, you, you throw an old Bette Midler song at me. And the second I hear a Bette Midler song, which I'm probably, that's my mom. Like that connects me to my mom. And so I cannot hear anything by Bette Midler. Um, now I can't, I can't now, like maybe I will sometime in my future. Or like if I hear anything by the stupid band, stupid band, I probably just maybe upset a lot of people by saying this. So I shouldn't have said that. Um, <laughs> There's a band <laughs> that's no longer together anymore called Chicago. And man, it, you know, this Peter Cetera or something like going in a ballad, like that reminds me of my old, my old marriage. Like, so there are definitely, I am definitely triggered by music in both a positive and a negative way. But um, yeah. <laughs> something people often get wrong about you. Oh, gee whiz. Um, that they get wrong about me. That one's a tough one for me. I think they, uh, that they get wrong about me. Hmm. I don't know. I should be prepared for that. I should, I don't know. I think that, I don't think, I think they think that I'm like straight laced and like if someone just saw me like chatting online or something, they'd be like, Oh, she's so super sweet. And then all of a sudden I drop the anal bomb or something on them. They're like, <laughs> Holy, like what? Who is this chick? <laughs> Like, yeah, I mean, there was a, when this mastermind I was in with some other business professionals, they did not know what I did. And, um, yeah, I think people just really judge me. They just don't know. They don't understand the title. They don't understand like, what's the sex bird thing? Like what's sex education? What's that actually mean? So I think that's something they get wrong about me. Like I just, I don't know. Probably, probably that just the profession, you know? Right. Favorite movie or porn site? <laughs> hmm. Um, so a little fun fact about me is that I like to see every movie. Now this is pre-COVID. So let me just say this. We go to the movies at least once or twice a week. I love movies. I love to see every movie that's up for an Academy Award. 
Um, that's just it. for years. I've done that. You, like every, every movie that's been up, I've seen it. And so I'll kind of guess what's going to win and what's not going to win. So that's always my favorite. So I have a ton of favorite movies. Um, I, and I think you got me on the porn site thing. Anything by, and this is kind of old school. I have a whole collection of, I love to read sex books more than like maybe Yay. a specific porn site. So all erotica recommendations, please. Oh, a lot of Like I have a whole, so it's so funny on my bookshelf, I have a whole, a whole shelf of like self-help stuff, like all the Brene Brown stuff, all the, you know, all the uplifting, like motivational, get your ass into gear. And then the next shelf is all the sobriety books. Like quit lit was like my savior when I gave up alcohol. Like I read every book that was freaking out there. And then the third shelf is all sex books and it's all about sexual health. It's come as you are, which is one of my favorites. Um, uh, just, you know, there's one called the, you know, why am I all of a sudden like being scared about the words I'm using? There's a book called pussy. Um, that's really good. Um, she comes first. It's just like, I love like being able to reference all those books and just take them out and like remind myself, like, okay, Cindy, you, you do know this stuff. Like this is something that you can talk about. Um, I used to love, I still do, but she has, hasn't had anything recently. She, well, she just came out with a book, um, if I haven't got yet, but it's by Tracy Cox and Tracy Cox is, I found her early in my sexual health work and she, and the reason I liked her is because she had imagery in her books. It wasn't some, like she had some fantasy works. Um, and you can like, she wrote like super sex and super, I can't think of the other ones, but she wrote super sex. And so it's just these stories. And it was also like very graphic imagery, but it was beautiful imagery of women and men and um, different groupings of men and women, but it was just tastefully done. It wasn't like this typical, I mean, you know, it, in my industry, in, in the sex toy industry, like when you would go to these national conventions, like all these books were just pushed at you and they were just like stupid, like drawings of like, this is what a, this position is like 101 positions. And it was these terrible black and white drawings. And these were just beautiful drawings. I mean, not drawings, beautiful pictures of people in different positions and they were just done very tastefully. And I really liked her work. It was one of the first people that I found that was like doing very tasteful work and it didn't feel like it was dirty. Like I had just gone to the dirty bookstore again, that was a whole Texas reference. Like they were around every, they were on every street corner in Texas. Like you just couldn't get your hands on material like that. And here was this book at Barnes and Noble, you know, you could order it off Amazon. Like what? Like, so that's one of the things that I really like anything by Tracy Cox. Can you spell Cox? <laughs> not to, not, I, not I know. I'm like, is that her real name? Did she change her name? Um, C-O-X. So T-R-A-C-Y then C-O-X. Awesome. So, like yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Tell me one thing you love more than anything in the world. Me. Yay! <laughs> me That's and glitter. No, me. Um, yeah, me. I mean, yeah, me. For sure. Beautiful. I think Lovely. it's funny if you asked me that several years ago. I'd be like, my kids. My kids are great. Like, I love my kids more than anything in this world. I'm like, no, a lot of work this last three years of just mm-hmm. no. It's me. It's me. 
Yes, Cindy. <laughs> what an you amazing answer. Incredible. Where can we find you yeah. on the internet? Cindy Roberts, so C-I-N-D-I-R-O-B-E-R-T-S dot com. And um, you can find me on Facebook as well. And uh, yeah, I also have the Sober Sexpert website too. But yes. again, it's not up and running, but it will be. Amazing. Cindy, thank you so, so, so much. You've been, I um, mean, just so, A, selfishly, it's an excellent opportunity to get to know you better, but also for your wealth of information and um, expertise in this area. It's such a privilege. And um, yeah, thank you for your time. Thank you both for the invitation. It was, it was so easy to talk to both of you. It was so easy. So easy.